Amen. Good, good worship tonight. So tonight we're going to begin our study in 1 Samuel 21. 1 Samuel 21, but I'd also like you to find the book of Psalms, because we're going to be in the book of Psalms as well tonight. So 1 Samuel 21, and then also mark the book of Psalms. Tonight can really be summed up in this way. These chapters we're going to be looking at tonight really remind us of the importance of staying in fellowship with God. Of how important it is that we stay in fellowship with God. What we're going to see tonight is David out of fellowship with God. And the really bad choices that David makes because he's not walking in fellowship with God. And by the time our study ends, he's back in fellowship with God. But he's learned some very painful lessons. Another sort of overview of these two chapters tonight is we've been looking at David really as a man of faith up to this point. Just trusting in God. But tonight, we're going to see that David goes from faith to fear, to failure. And God doesn't want us to walk in fear. He wants us to walk by faith. But all of us, just like David, are susceptible to allowing our circumstances and the things that we're going through to get the best of us. And to begin to be filled with fear rather than faith. When we get our eyes off of Jesus and we get our eyes on our circumstances, then fear can take over. And when fear takes over our lives, as we're going to see tonight with David, then failure comes. The other thing I see in this passage is this. Because of the stress of what David was going through, it caused him to forget three things. It caused him to forget God's plan, God's promises, and God's power. And the same thing is true in our lives. We, we struggle with that. that. That sometimes in our life when we're going through those difficult circumstances and because of the ongoing stress of a situation, we can tend to forget God's plan, His promises, and His power. I mean, David knew God's plan for his life. God sent Samuel to anoint David as the future king of Israel. If he would have just remembered God's plan for his life, He would have never ended up like he did tonight. If he would have remembered God's promises to him, he would have never ended up that. And if he would have never forgotten God's power, the same power that drew him out on the battlefield to fight Goliath fearlessly, courageously, the only one that was willing to do it, face the giant, strike him down. And that same young man that was so fearless and full of faith a couple chapters ago, now is filled with fear. So let's look at it tonight. From faith to fear to failure. I don't want to take the time tonight necessarily to go through the first six or seven verses here of chapter 21. I want to sum it up this way. David gets up after he finds out that Jonathan says it's too dangerous to come back to the palace and to be around Saul. And he takes off and he ends up with Elimelech and the priest. So just like a couple of weeks ago, a couple chapters ago, when we saw him get up and go to Samuel and the prophets, now he gets up and he goes to Elimelech and and the gathering of priests in Nob. And 
As he gets there, he's looking for provision. He's been on the run for several days. He's hungry. Uh, he asks Elimelech, you know, do you, got, do you have any provision? And Elimelech says, well, I've got bread here, but it's, it's sacred bread. It's the bread that we dedicate, you know, to the Lord. We don't have any common bread. And David says, give that to me. I'm hungry. And Jesus, even in the New Testament, does not criticize David for asking for that bread at that point. That's another story. But David takes the bread. He takes the provision that Elimelech gives him. And then the Bible says in verse 7 of chapter 21, one of Saul's servants was there that day when this took place, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg, the Edomite, who was in charge of Saul's shepherds. I wanted to start there tonight because we're going to see this man two more times in the passage we're going to look at tonight. So the Bible doesn't want us to forget Doeg. Then notice what David says to Elimelech in verse 8. If there is no sword or spear here at your dis- is there no sword or spear here at your disposal? I don't have my own sword or equipment in hand due to the urgency of the king's instructions. And by the way, when David got to Elimelech, you can read it for yourself in the first six verses, he basically told three lies. It reminds us when we start lying, one lie leads to another lie, and a lot of times our lies are out of fear, and that's exactly where David was. Verse 9, the priest replied, the sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, is wrapped in a garment behind the ephod. If you wish, take it for yourself. Other than that, there's nothing here. David said, there's nothing like it. Give it to me. And David took the sword of Goliath. Now, the reason I find that interesting, and I wanted to definitely mention that tonight, is because that's an illustration of just how fearful David is. I want you to contrast just what we read. In 1 Samuel 21, and I want you to go back to 1 Samuel 17 for just a moment. Back to the story of David and Goliath. And look at verse 50. 1 Samuel 17, 50. David prevailed over the Philistine with just a sling and the stone. He struck down the Philistine and killed him. David did not even have a sword in his hand. David didn't care about a sword when he went to fight the giant. Now all of a sudden, because he's become fearful and he's not walking in faith, just like we do, now he begins to look at what human provisions he has. Before he didn't care about the human provisions. All he cared about was, was God with him because the power of God was going to strike down that giant. But now, because he's walking in fear and not faith, now he begins to look at the human instruments, the human weapons, and he wants a sword. He didn't need a sword to kill Goliath. Why does he need a sword now? And it's an illustration, again, of where David is at in his walk at this point. He's left faith, and now he is walking in fear. And when you and I get out of fellowship with God, and begin to walk in fear, even as a follower of God, we can just do some strange things. It's why many times we may even look at another Christian and see some of the decisions and choices they make at certain times of their life and go, 
what are they thinking? Because I know there's been other Christians in my life who've had every right at certain seasons of my life to go, what is Jeff thinking? And it, it, it's so, and that's why if there's one main theme in this passage tonight, it is how important it is to stay in fellowship with God. Because when we stay in fellowship with God and walk with God, the decisions and choices we make are much better. When we get out of fellowship with God and we stop walking with Him and we go from faith to fear, even followers of God can do things that just are very uncharacteristic and frankly don't make any sense. And that's exactly where David was at. I say that because notice where David went next. After he took the sword of Goliath, the Bible says... In verse 10, he went to King Achish of Gath. Uh, That's where Goliath was from. Now, I don't know about you, but just looking at this on the surface, if I've killed the giant Goliath from Gath, the last place that I'm going to ever probably show my face is Gath. And yet David just is making decisions that just make no sense at all. In fact, notice when he gets there, verse 11, the servants of Achish said to him, isn't this David the king of the land? Isn't he the one that they sing about when they dance, saying Saul struck down his thousands, but David his tens of thousands? That song that those ladies made up a couple chapters ago, that's hit the top of the charts by this point. Everybody in the Middle East knows this song. Not only is Israel singing it, but the Philistines even know this song. And notice... Verse 12, David thought about what they said and was very afraid of King Achish of Gath. Okay, wait a minute. He wasn't afraid of the nine-foot giant Goliath. But now he's afraid of this king. Yeah. Because it shows the difference when we're walking in fellowship with God and when we're not. And then notice what he does. Verse 13, it it gets even more pitiful. He altered his behavior in their presence. Since he was in their power, he pretended to be insane. Now that's a little bit further of a leap for some people than others. Some people are a bit closer to that. Some don't have to quite pretend as much. But he pretended to be insane. Notice, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting his saliva run down in his beard. He's a blithering idiot. And you and I, even we go, wow. This is the same guy who marched out on the battlefield all by himself with his little sling and stones and slayed Goliath and was fearless and courageous and walking with God and walking in his power and slaying giants. And now he's this guy who's cowering in the corner in Gath and he's he's so afraid that he's afraid what they're going to do to him now that he totally just acts like a fool, like a madman. And it's just a very vivid and sad illustration of what happens to the people of God when we get out of fellowship with God. That people can look at our lives and go, what what are they thinking? 
And, and you even think about what a terrible witness and testimony. A couple chapters ago, man, he was a great witness and testimony to God and to the power of God. And now, the enemies of God are like, if he's a follower of this Jehovah God, I, I don't want any parts of it. Because I, I love what this king says. Achish said to his servants in verse 14, look at this madman. Literally in the Hebrew, this fool. Why did you bring him to me? Do I have a shortage of fools that you brought this man to me to display his insanity in front of me? Literally in the Hebrew, it's like, do you think I need or want more fools around me? I don't need any more. I have enough. He says, should this man enter my house? Wow. Wow. And yet, chapter 21 of 1 Samuel is a a sobering reminder to any of us as followers of God of how different it is to be walking in fellowship with God in faith and to be walking out of fellowship with God in fear. And the contrast. Same man. But different spiritual circumstances. And if we're honest, we've all been there. There have been times in our life, man, we're in fellowship with God. We are close to God. We're trusting in Him and we're slaying giants. And we're just, we're living in victory. And then there's other times in our life where we stop focusing on Jesus. And instead of continuing to focus on God, we start focusing on our circumstances. And as soon as we do that, we open up the door for fear to flood into our lives. And when that happens, we can begin to act and make very foolish decisions in our life and act like a fool. Chapter 22, though, it doesn't end there. The Bible says David left there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. The word Adullam means refuge. And David was beginning now to learn some hard lessons about being out of fellowship with God. When he went into that cave, God, I believe, met him there. The reason I say that is if you study the sort of the the way God used caves in his servants' lives throughout especially the Old Testament, caves did two things. Caves were a place of confrontation and redirection. Think of Elijah. Had his pity party, went into the cave. God left him there for a little bit, but then God confronted Elijah, and then God redirected his life. And that's exactly what David needed. He needed to be confronted with where he was at spiritually, And he needed to be redirected by God. Today we use the term man cave to describe a place in people's homes. But I think all of us as Christians need a God cave. A place every once in a while that God can take us to, to confront us about things that we need to face, that we're not willing to face for a while for our own good, in order to redirect our lives. And that's exactly what happened at the cave of Adullam. 
Another thing I want to share with you is that out of this cave, David wrote five psalms. I don't want to look at all five tonight. I want to look at one. I want to read one to you as you follow along. And I'd like to encourage you the next four days, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, to read each day one of the other psalms that David wrote out of this cave experience. I think it will be more meaningful to you when you know the background of when David wrote these five psalms. And the five psalms are these. They are Psalm 57. And then Psalms 140 through 143. So 140, 141, 142, 143. I'd like you to turn to Psalm 57 tonight and follow along as I read that psalm. And I think it will have meaning to you when you know at what time of life David wrote this psalm. Psalm 57. David starts, have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me, for in you I have taken shelter. In the shadow of your wings I take shelter until trouble passes. I cry out for help to the sovereign God, to the God who vindicates me. May he send help from heaven and deliver me from my enemies who hurl insults. Selah. May God send his loyal love and faithfulness. I am surrounded by lions. I lie down among those who want to devour me, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are a sharp sword. Rise up above the sky, O God. May your splendor cover the whole earth. They have prepared a net to trap me. I am discouraged. They have dug a pit for me. They will fall into it. Selah. I am determined, O God. I am determined. I will sing and praise you. Awake, my soul. Awake, O stringed instrument and harp. I will wake up at dawn. I will give you thanks before the nations, O Master. I will sing praises to you before foreigners. For your loyal love extends beyond the sky, and your faithfulness reaches the clouds. Rise up above the sky, O God. May your splendor cover the whole earth. Great psalm. Psalm 57. Back to 1 Samuel 22. Notice also something very cool at this time in David's life. The Bible says when his brothers and the rest of his father's family learned about it, they went down there to him. Wow. A lot's taken place. Because remember, most of his family, they didn't want anything to do with David. His brothers were jealous of him. And yet now at this point in his life, his family sort of gathers around him and reunites to support him at this time. There's a family sort of reconciliation and reunion going on here in the midst of everything else that David is dealing with. And I'm sure that that was an encouragement to David. Also, we read in verse 2 of 1 Samuel 22 that all of those who were in trouble or owed someone money or were discontented gathered around him and he became their leader. He had about 400 men with him. These are the group of men called David's mighty men in the Old Testament. Some of the greatest heroes of the Old Testament are these 400 men. I want to look at them a little bit closer. First of all, notice the characteristics of these men who gathered around David at this point. First of all, it says that they were in trouble. The word literally means being severely pressured. We've talked about this word in the Hebrew before. It was a word that the Hebrews used to press olives 
to get olive oil out of olives and to press grapes to get wine out of grapes. The Bible is reminding us that these guys that were gathering around David because he was under pressure, well, for whatever reason in their life, they seem to be under pressure too. Second, the English translation is that they owed somebody money. And you may get the impression by just again reading the English translation that they must have made some bad business transactions or maybe they overextended themselves and they bought stuff that they shouldn't or whatever. But that's not what the words mean in the Hebrew. They mean to be beguiled and deceived. In other words, the meaning is that the reason they owed somebody money is somebody, somebody gave them a raw deal. They could have even been part of an extortion or something like that. But they were taken advantage of in a monetary way. And then the Bible says that they were discontented. Literally in the Hebrew, it means bitterness of life and in pain. They were going through it too. And they were looking for someone to believe in. They were looking for some cause to hope in. They were, they were looking for some light in this darkness in the nation of Israel at this time. And they gathered around David. And they said to David, lead us. I think a couple things. First of all, I think that from God's perspective, I think God allowed these 400 ragtag group of men to come to David to say, David, if you can bring this group of 400 men together and you can lead them, then I'll give you the throne of Israel. Prove yourself with these 400 first. If you can be a good leader of them, I've seen how you led the sheep, but now I want to see how you lead these 400 men. If you can lead them, I'll give you the kingdom of Israel. And I just see here too that these men were looking for leadership. Somebody that they could follow. Somebody that they could believe in. Can I just tell you, I sort of feel like that way as an American right now. Give me somebody that can lead. Give me somebody that I can get behind and that I can believe in. That's exactly where they were in Israel at this time. But we won't get into that. We'll save that for another message. Verse 3, then David went from there to Mizbah in Moab. Why did he go to Moab? Why Moab? Well, because his great-grandmother Ruth was living there. And David knew that the king of Moab was favorably, I can't get this out, favorably disposed to the family of Ruth. And so he knew that he would find favor with the king of Moab because of the favor that Ruth had brought to that family many, many years ago. And he says to the king, please let my father and mother stay with you until I know what God is going to do for me. So he had them stay with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him the whole time that David was in the stronghold. Verse 3 of chapter 22 may be the most important practical principle tonight out of this whole message. 
It is probably the most important lesson that David learned from chapter 21 that he carried into this point in his life. And that was this. He was learning to wait and let God lead rather than taking matters into his own hands. Wow. When he says, I'm going to let them stay with you until I know what God is going to do for me. Up to this point, he just tried to figure it out on his own when he went from faith to fear. He stopped consulting what what God wanted. He stopped praying about things. He tried to figure it out on his own and he went from faith to fear to failure very quickly. But now he's, he's learned, you know what? I can't run ahead of God. I've got to start asking the Lord and, and seeking Him and asking Him what to do because David learned a hard lesson already. When I make decisions, when I'm out of fellowship with God, it usually always ends in disaster. You and I have all been there. We made decisions in life. And some of them didn't blow up too bad because they were small decisions. But sometimes as Christians, we've made big decisions, big life decisions when we were out of fellowship with God and boy, did it blow up on us. And can I just say as a pastor dealing with people all the time in 27 years, I could give you story after story after story of people who've said, yep, boy, did I make a decision when I wasn't really walking close to God and boy, I'm paying for it. And that's why if there's any two chapters in the Bible, in the whole Bible, that should encourage us as followers of God to stay in fellowship with God, it's 1 Samuel 21 and 22. Because those chapters teach us the peril of making decisions and choices when we're out of God's fellowship, and yet how good it is and how prosperous it is when we make decisions and choices when we're in fellowship with God. And David was learning that. I can't keep taking matters into my own hand. I'm going to keep them here. And I'm not going to make a move. I'm not going to make a step until I figure out, as he says, what God is going to do for me. So notice the Bible says he had them stay with the king of Moab. They stayed with him the whole time that David was in the stronghold. I want to stop there for a moment. A couple weeks ago, or maybe it was last week, we looked at the concept of hiding place in the Bible, a place of refuge. Tonight, I want to take a few moments and look at the concept of stronghold. It literally, in the Hebrew, this word means a secured fortification. A secured fortification. In other words, where's our security? Is our security in Anything or anyone, or is our security just in God? Is he our stronghold? And David was learning at this point in his life that God was really my only secure fortification. He was my only stronghold. And the Hebrew word that's used here in chapter 22, verse 4, is the Hebrew word matsud. I'll spell it for you. M-A-T-S-W-U-D. Matsud. And it's used five times by David 
in the Psalms. And I want to show you those other places where David uses the concept of stronghold to not speak about a physical cave somewhere in the Middle East, but about his God. Turn with me to Psalm 18, verse 2. And we're going to just travel through the Psalms for just a moment, and then we'll wrap this up tonight. Psalm 18, verse 2. And in doing this and seeing these verses, I I hope that all of us will be encouraged to make God our stronghold. He is our only security in this life. I'm just going to begin actually in verse 1. He said, I love you, Lord, my source of strength. Verse 2, the Lord is my high ridge, my stronghold, matsud, my deliverer. My God is my rocky summit where I take shelter. My hiding place, we talked about that last week. My shield, the horn that saves me, and my refuge. Then turn to Psalm 31. Psalm 31. I'm just going to begin in verse 1. In you, O Lord, I have taken shelter. Never let me be humiliated. Vindicate me by rescuing me. Listen to me. Quickly deliver me. Be my protector and refuge. A stronghold, Matsud, where I can be safe. For you are my high ridge and my stronghold. For the sake of your own reputation, you lead me and guide me. Psalm 71, verse 3. Be my protector and refuge, a stronghold where I can be safe. For you are my high ridge and my stronghold. Two more. Psalm 91. Psalm 91. I'm just going to start in verse 1. As for you, the one who lives in the shelter of the Sovereign One and resides in the protective shadow of the Mighty King, I say this about the Lord, my shelter and my stronghold, my God in whom I trust. And then finally, Psalm 144. Psalm 144. I'm just going to begin reading in verse 1. The Lord, my protector, deserves praise. The one who trains my hands for battle and my fingers for war. Who loves me and is my stronghold, my refuge and my deliverer, my shield and the one in whom I take shelter, who who makes nations submit to me. David in his life literally had a stronghold that he sought refuge and found safety and security. But he learned through that experience that it was really God and God alone that was his stronghold, his security, his safety. Hopefully all of us will continue to learn that as we go through life, that really there is no ultimate security in anyone or anything but God alone. All right. Back to 1 Samuel 22, and we'll finish this up tonight. So the Bible says then in 1 Samuel 22, verse 5, Then Gad the prophet said to David, Don't stay in the stronghold. Go to the land of Judah. So David left and went to the forest of Hereth. 
But Saul found out the whereabouts of David and the men who were with him. Now Saul was sitting at Gibeah under the tamarisk tree at an elevated location. Yeah, guess what he had? Spear in his hand. Remember? Every time you see Saul, got a spear in his hand. And all his servants stationed around him. Saul said to his servants who were stationed around him, he's such a pitiful character. Listen up, you Benjamites. Is Jesse's son giving fields and vineyards to all of you? Is he making all of you commanders and officers? For all of you have conspired against me. No one informs me when my own son makes an agreement with this son of Jesse. Not one of you feels sorry for me or informs me that my own son has commissioned my own servant to hide an ambush against me, as is this case today. Nobody feels sorrier for Saul than Saul does. Saul's always feeling sorry for himself. We got to be careful of that. We all have that tendency. But we all have learned, I think, in life, the older we get, that the pity party that I'm having for self, I, I, I have very little luck getting anybody else to join that party with me. And Saul didn't have much success there either. He just was always feeling very sorry for himself. But notice verse 9. That's why I want you to notice this man earlier. He comes back up again. But Doag, the Edomite, who had stationed himself with the servants of Saul. By the way, the word stationed there in my translation is the Hebrew, he took a stand. In other words, when he had a choice between going with maybe the 400 mighty men and, and, and lining up with David, he chose to sta- take his stand with Saul rather than David. It reminds us that there's going to be times in our life where God's just going to cut it to the point where he's going to say, I'm going to put you in a position where you're going to have to take a stand. You can't be, remain neutral. And I want to see whether you're going to make a stand for me and my word, or whether you're going to take the expedient or politically correct or whatever way out. But God always puts us in that position every once in a while. Doeg sort of failed the test. He took his stand with Saul. And notice, Doeg, the Edomite who had stationed himself with the servants of Saul, replied, I saw this son of Jesse come to Ahimelech, son of Akitub of Nob. He inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions. He also gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Now, I want to say something before I go on. Notice the Bible says in verse 10, that Doag says that David inquired of the Lord through the priest Ahimelech. I think this is a situation, though the Bible doesn't round it out for us necessarily, where I don't believe in any way did the priest Ahimelech give David the advice that, yeah, God wants you to go to Gath and make a fool of yourself. So I think we have a situation here, and again, we can identify with this because we've been there before too. Have we ever inquired of the Lord for something and then turned around and did what we wanted to anyway? Yeah, and I think that's exactly what David did. 
Because I don't believe in any way did the priest of God, Ahimelech, tell David, David, God wants you to go to Gath and he wants you to act like a fool and make a fool out of yourself and act insane. I don't think that at all. I think David heard whatever leading, whatever guidance God gave him through the priest Ahimelech and then did what he wanted to do anyway. Why? Because at that point, he was out of fellowship with God and he was walking in fear. Again, another bad choice. Verse 11. Then the king arranged for a meeting with the priest Ahimelech, son of Akitub, and all the priests of his father's house who were at Nob. They all came to the king. Then Saul said, Listen, son of Akitub. He replied, Here I am, my lord. Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and this son of Jesse? You gave him bread and a sword and inquired of God on his behalf so that he opposes me and waits in ambush, as is this case today. Ahimelech replied to the king, Who among all your servants is as faithful like David? Who supports you like David does? He is the king's son-in-law, the leader of your bodyguard, honored in your house. Was it just today that I began to inquire of God on his behalf? Far be it from me. The king should not accuse his servant or any of my father's house, for your servant is not aware of all this, not in whole or in part. And again, can I just say, after hearing Elimelech, what he said to Saul, we can so identify with this. Here's why. Because we've all been in Elimelech's position at some time in our life. Where we were sort of sucked into something that we didn't even know what was going on. We didn't have a clue what was really going on with, say, two parties or two factions. And somehow we just, we just were doing what we thought we were supposed to be doing. And all of a sudden now we're sucked into the middle of something that we don't even know anything about. Because Elimelech didn't know how Saul had tried to kill David and the animosity and stuff between them. He didn't know any of that. He was just being the priest of God. He's totally innocent. He's been brought into a situation he knows nothing about. That's a bad place to be, isn't it? That's why, like, I try to have a just a policy in my own life that if anybody comes up to me and starts ragging on somebody else, I just say, look, you know there's another side to this. And if you're expecting me to make some kind of decision or whatever, when I've only heard one side, because the Bible says, be very, very careful, never make any kind of judgment, determination, decision about anything when you've only heard one side. And yet, can I just tell you, Christians do that all the time today. Earlier in the history of our church, we had people who were influenced to leave this church based upon hearing one side of a situation. And honestly, for me, the pastor, the saddest thing about that is, is I thought we were a church of maturity, (laughs) And that's not a sign of maturity when you leave a church or, or make any kind of major decision in your life when you only hear one side of it. Notice verse 16. The king said, you will surely die. Wow. Ahimelech's going to be just a casualty. But notice, not just Ahimelech, notice how sad this gets. You and all your father's house. 
Then the king said to the messengers who were stationed before or beside him, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, for they too have sided with David. And this is how far Saul's went down. They knew he was fleeing, but they did not inform me. But notice, the king's servants stood up, and they refused to harm the priests of the Lord. But notice who did. Then the king said to Doag, You turn and strike down the priests. So Doag, the Edomite, turned and struck down the priests. He killed on that day 85 men who wore the linen ephod. Notice, as for Nob, the city of the priests, he struck down with the sword men and women, children and infants, oxen, donkeys and sheep, all with the sword. That's a sad day. That's how bad things have gotten. But the Bible does say in verse 20, one of the sons of Ahimelech, son of Akitub, by the way, just to throw this out, in the Hebrew language, when an A and an H are together, there's a K sound in there. That's why I'm pronouncing it Akitub. Escaped and fled to David. His name was Abiathar. Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. And notice what David says in verse 22. Very interesting. Then David said to Abiathar, I knew that day when Doag the Edomite was there that he would certainly tell Saul. For the most part, not always. We know who the gossipers are. We know in our lives who the people are who can't keep their mouth shut and can't keep confidences. We we know. And David, because he was at a very bad place in his life at that point, got caught at a bad time. And Doag just happened to be there to witness it all. But notice, David takes responsibility. David said, I am guilty of all the deaths in your father's house. Because David was hit by something. He was hit by the cost of being out of fellowship with God. And from David's perspective, this would have never happened had I remained in fellowship with God and been walking by faith rather than by fear. I'd have never been in that place. Doag would have never seen that. He would have never heard that. I would have never put Ahimelech or anybody else in that position. And again, these chapters just so remind us in such a vivid way of how important it is that all of us stay in fellowship with God because the choices and decisions we will make when we are out of fellowship with God will not only cause us pain, but can also cause a lot of other people pain as well. And David found that out firsthand. In a real way. But the cool thing is, though David started out chapter 21 out of fellowship with God, by the time we get to the end of chapter 22, David is back in fellowship with God and says these words to Abiathar. Stay with me. Don't be afraid. Now, after going to the cave... 
and being with God and getting back into fellowship with God and being confronted and redirected and getting his life back again. He's now no longer walking in fear. He's walking in faith. And notice he says in the last words of chapter 22, whoever seeks my life is also seeking your life as well. But notice these words of faith. You are secure with me. The word secure in the Hebrew there means to be preserved. In other words, David is promising Abiathar's preservation because he's with David, which again goes back to the faith now that David has has gotten back because David now realizes God's going to preserve me. God's going to protect me because he's got a plan for my life and one day I'm going to rule Israel. And so if he's with me, he's going to be okay too. And he could... He could encourage faith in Abiathar because of now the faith that he had because he was no longer walking in fear. You and I will pass along where we are with the Lord. If we're walking in faith, we'll encourage others in faith. We'll pass along faith to others. If we're walking in fear, we'll pass along fear to others. One of the sad regrets I have in my life were the years that I spent struggling with anxiety and fear. Because whether it was conscious or unconscious, I know I passed that on to my children, to others that were around me at that time, and it's something that I'm going to be accountable for. But when we walk in fellowship with God and we walk in faith, we can also pass that along to others as well. And David was now back in fellowship with God. Folks, let's learn the hard lesson that David learned. Choices and decisions made out of fellowship with God can bring a lot of pain to our lives and so many others. Let's stay in fellowship with God. And let's remember the lesson of David in chapter 22, verse 3. Let's stay right where we are until we know what God is going to do for us. Let's not run ahead of God. Let's not take matters into our own hands until we know what God wants us to do. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you, God, that the Bible is so real and so relevant and we can so relate to it. That even a great hero over the faith like David, we see his struggles because we know we struggle as well. That at times in our life, we go from faith to fear and from fear to faith. God, I pray tonight for each of us and for any who are listening to this message on podcast that God, that we would commit ourselves to living and walking in faith. And God, we ask that you would help us to live by faith and not by fear. And God, if we're walking out of fellowship with you right now, help us to get to that cave, that place where, Lord, we can face the reality of of where our lives are. And and we can allow you to redirect our lives and refuel us and restore us once again so that we'll be in a good place again. And the choices then and the decisions that we make out of being in fellowship with you will be so much better than they would when we're walking away from you. God, thank you for these reminders. And Lord, I just pray tonight that 
each of us would also just be reminded that the only stronghold, the only security that we ever will need is you. Help us, Lord, to make you the stronghold of our life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, thanks for being here tonight. See you on Sunday.